Welcome back to The Peripheral. It's been a interesting month getting this episode out. I re-recorded this intro about three times, uh, so I'm just going with the fourth and then I'll be done with it. This episode, I was going for a lighter theme, trying to lighten up the show a little bit. The next few episodes are going to take on a darker tone, so trying to give everybody a break from that. This episode is about parenting and some of the stigmas that follow single parenting or same-sex parenting. Our first interview is about a same-sex couple that goes through IVF and all of the curious and wonderful options one has at their fingertips when choosing the right baby for them. Okay, so my name is Jenna, and I wanted to share my story about me being in a gay marriage and how we decided to um, have a baby, how we went about that, and we ended up using the process of IVF, which is in vitro fertilization, which is where the egg is fertilized outside of the body. I'll talk about IUI which is intrauterine insemination, where they go in and they put the sperm directly in the path of the egg, and that's done inside the body. So, um, you know, there's a couple options, but IVF is outside the body. So basically your Petri dish baby. Is that where the test tube baby term came from? Yes. Okay. I remember that from the 80s. Yeah, because that's technically what my little embryos are housed in right now. They're frozen in a little test tube in some deep freeze type chamber. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where they are exactly, but I know they're frozen in a little test tube. How did you meet your partner? How long have you guys been okay. together? And, and how did you come to this decision? So I was living in Texas and I knew I wanted to be a mom and I hadn't dated anyone in years and I was okay being on my own. I worked a lot. I worked for the biggest, one of the biggest makeup companies um, that are out there. I managed for them. I just wanted to be a mom and most of my family had moved to Arizona. So I got up, took off and said, all right, I'm coming up here. My plan was just to, you know, as a a gay woman and not being with someone, I was thinking maybe I could just do an IUI type of situation where they, I would just purchase sperm from a cryobank and they would just inseminate me naturally, you know, just put it in the path and I would become pregnant that way. That was my plan. And I wanted to be by family so they could help me, you know, with the baby being a single mom, basically. Well, when I got here... I met this lovely person. I met my wife right when I moved here. I wasn't planning on that. My plans just started getting pushed back and back as we built our relationship, got closer, and I realized that, you know, this was it. This is something that I know is going to continue and that we're going to be together. We were kind of the typical U-Haul. I don't know if you ever heard that term when it comes to uh, lesbian couples? First date, I forgot, what is it? You brought your U-Haul to uh, the first date, but in our situation, it ended up working out. Um, We've been married for 
it's about two and a half years now and, and together, you know, three and a half years, we got married about a year after a meeting. So our U-Haul situation is turning out okay right now. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? With why, why is that the running joke? I mean, I know it's a, it's a joke, it's a stereotype, but why is yes. it? Being female, we're put on this place of, you know, our emotions and how we're supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, as female and how we're supposed to act. And the way people are raising children now, it's a lot different than I'm, I'm in my 30s. So, you know, I was raised to show those emotions and things like that. And I think when women get together like that, the emotional level is very connected. We're usually on the same level and our communication styles are very similar. And those connections just seem to go faster and feel more confident. Um, you know, I, I've dated one man in my life um, when I was a lot younger. And I could see the difference between those communication styles and that emotional level. And I could see how I responded as a person in that type of relationship and how I, how slow I took it then mm-hmm. versus getting on the same level with someone emotionally and, you know, communication style. Not to say that straight people, you know, don't have those quick, you know, connections if they, they connect that way, which is beautiful if they can achieve that really quick. But I think that's why it's such a stereotype is you're kind of presented right away off the bat with each other on that emotional and communication level together. Well, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate for people getting together, living together and being together for a long period of time before marriage. So I'm not exactly against, you know, you, you moving in quickly because (laughs) to me, I'm thinking, well, you're going to find out real fast whether or not you you really love this person and can tolerate it. (laughs) Yes, you will. Yeah. And, um, I think, you know, the older you get, I don't care, you know, what, uh, what type of people you date, you know, if you're straight, bi, gay, the older you get, I feel like if you do want that, if you do want marriage and children, that can even push that even more. You know, I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to be a mom. And I even at the beginning of our relationship, we had a short term where we, I said, you know what, like, I need you to really, really think, because this is going to change your life faster than she's um, about four and a half years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is going to change your life in a way that's, you know, monumental, it's huge, and it's going to be faster than what you planned on. And you need to be fully, fully mentally there to take that on, you know, with me, we had that really strong conversation of, are you really wanting this and wanting it right now? Because if you don't, that's okay. But I'm going to keep going on that path. For a um, second, I thought you said mom mental. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's, that's a good term for it. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? It's funny because so, so that was the first conversation where it was like, okay, are we going to do this together? We weren't married at the time. We were just dating and it was more, okay, I know you want to be a mom and... I've decided then that I want to do that with you. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the first things she said to me that has stuck in my head forever has she did say something like, well, if you were just doing IUI, 
so me just purchasing sperm and using my egg, she wouldn't feel connected to the child. Mm -hmm. She wasn't sure if she would feel, and I think that's one of the big struggles with being in a gay relationship is you don't get to automatically have a biological connection to your child. And I know, you know, people that have to do adoption and things like that, that can be a struggle. You know, that's something that you have to decide if you're comfortable with it, if you're not comfortable with it, how are you going to do that process? How are you going to like, you know, process in your own mind if this baby that you're going to be a parent to is not biologically yours? Um, so, so ours ours got a little interesting because that was one of the first things she said was she was scared that she wouldn't feel connected to the child. I was older than her at the time. So while she's worried about biological connections to the kids that we have, I, as an older in my thirties, am worried about the age of my eggs. Mm -hmm. And as we get older, obviously then the, the chances of um, things happening to our eggs are, are greater. So we both had these strong kind of concerns on how we were going to do this. So we met with a fertility specialist. We double checked at the beginning to make sure that they were uh, be friendly. A lot of uh, gay people, in my experience, we we do double check with you know doctors or any facilities. Just to be sure, you know, they're open to it and uh, they want to do that process, you know, with us. Um, so we went to a facility. What we came up with, so this is the original plan. We wanted to take one of her eggs, uh, fertilized one of her eggs and one of mine, and do them together as twins. Oh. So that if one of the eggs didn't, uh, continue to grow or didn't, you know, we, we didn't get that one, you know, we wouldn't know who's, you know, eventually, yeah, the child would probably look like one of us, but you know, we would at least get one or possibly both. And she would get her needs met by having a biological child. And I would get my needs met by, uh, having my egg be used while it's still younger. I didn't want to use her biology, biology, and then me wait a couple of years and then use mine. I was too scared. So we went ahead and uh, went to a specialist and we talked to them about this. And this was a practice. So, you know, again, as a, a gay person, we made sure that they were gay friendly. And we went in and we talked to the first pro provider. There were two physicians in this practice. And he was like, okay, sounds good. This is what I would do. I would, you know pull out her egg and then we'll freeze it and then we'll do yours, you know, at the same time he, he was coming up with, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not anywhere in that realm, but he was thrown out all his medical terms and he's like, okay, we got this. Mm -hmm. So we were feeling really good. We go home. Um, we go to our first appointment, uh, when Amalia, um, when you're doing this process, everything usually starts on the first day of your period. So if you're doing IUI or IVF, you've got to call that first day. So we call the first day, we go into the office and we meet with the second guy. So the second in the, the practice. And so we're telling him what we are doing because he seemed to not understand what was in our charts or in our notes from his partner. 
And he was like, oh, we would never do that. We would never um, touch two DNA at the same time. We would never combine DNA. And we were kind of like, well, you're not combining DNA. They're two separate embryos, you know, we're, yeah. we just want to use both. Um, and we're kind of like, why don't you already know this? You should be talking to your, you know, your partner and you're telling us straight to our face and kind of making us feel like he, he even said, we would have never said that to you. And we're like, well, pretty sure he did. So we left feeling very, um, very heartbroken, very disappointed. We thought that the way that we wanted to start this family wasn't going to come true. We were very upset. Um, we just didn't understand why that communication wasn't there between them and why he would treat us that way. So uh, the first time was a no-go. And so we got in touch with another specialist and he is absolutely amazing. The first time I went in to talk to him, and I think this is a big thing for people that need to go see a fertility specialist. I'm going to like preach this until the day I die. These specialists, when you're going in for fertility treatment, you are vulnerable. And you're also, I don't think a lot of people talk about this because it's a very sensitive subject. It Infertility is, it's hard. It's it's very sensitive for most, especially straight women. This is very hard to go through. It's very scary. And if you walk in to a specialist and they make you feel uncomfortable or they say something to you that makes you feel like, you know, like that guy did to us, or it, it's just not, don't keep going to them. Go to someone. When I walked into this office, he was, he was, over the moon about how we were going to do this. He's like, yeah, like I'm going to do this. This is what I would do. He took me back in the office and did an exam off the bat. He's like, I think this is what we should do here. Let's talk about your diet, your exercise. He was invested in me, um, asked me a lot of questions. And I felt like he was aggressively going to try to give me the family that I wanted. That's huge. I think that's the most important thing, especially because a lot of it, you're paying out of pocket. You're going to be paying these specialists thousands and thousands of dollars. They need to be working for you. They need to be aggressively trying to get you pregnant. And, you know, I think that if anybody can take away anything from this, please just make sure your specialist is really aggressively trying to work for you and trying to get you pregnant. Um, and, and just to piggyback off that a little bit, you're, you mm -hmm. said you're paying them money and so mm -hmm. they should be working for you. And that's true with anything. <laughs> I mm -hmm. mean, yeah. I, I just, I just had a friend trying to buy a house and the, the underwriters and people are making them jump through all these crazy hoops and all this stuff. They're making money off of you. Yeah. I was like, if, yeah. the, if they're asking you for some document on the day of closing, tell them you don't have it and to figure it out. Because they were all stressed out. And I'm like, no, they're working for you. You're giving no. them thousands yeah. of dollars. It, it doesn't matter. And funny enough, they every time I tell somebody this, they look at me like I've just said something alien. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no. Oh, exactly. Will we pay for you know other things that we expect service on, right? I mean, why 
why would this be any any different? Yeah. You're paying, especially when you're paying thousands of dollars yeah. for something that you know is your your dream for your family, and you know they just they need to be working for you. Yeah, I mean, if people go from zero to a hundred angry because they got their you know cheeseburger messed up at the drive-through, you would yeah. think <laughs> yeah. that thousands of dollars not getting you know the what you ordered would would constitute a uh, a similar reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I, again, I think women are a little scared to. Um, talk about it and our couples, you know, we look at a fertility specialist, you know, these people have just, I mean, their degrees and the stuff they do. And we put doctors on, you know, pedestals and stuff like that. And you almost feel like, well, I can't, like, I can't say anything. I can't feel this way. And it's like, yes, it's okay to feel this way. And it's okay to, you know, have your doctor work for you. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that with any physician, I think doctors should be aggressively trying to make you better. Yeah. Listen to you. You know, like if your doctor's not doing that, then why go to them? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We end up paying for Amalia for uh, that's my wife. Um, we pay for her IVF cycle. And an IVF cycle is gonna run you um I say a normal range is going to be about eight thousand to about twelve thousand um, dollars. Again, this is where they're actually removing your egg, they're inseminating your egg, and they're then freezing your embryos. So we pay for hers, and, and the drugs are not included in that. And the drugs for IVF are very, very expensive. That's another couple thousands of dollars. So we end up paying for Amalia to remove her eggs. Now I've heard couples that are paying like twenty thousand. I think it. Uh, I've talked to couples that lived in Florida, couples that lived in Michigan. I think it depends on the area that you live in and the state that you live in, because I've heard a, a wide range up to about twenty thousand. But I also made sure when I talked to these couples, I was like, make sure you're doing your research and you're going to other, you know, facilities and other doctors, you know, just to get because it is their specific prices. They can make it whatever they want it to be. So make sure you're not just going to pay $20,000. You have a lackadaisy doctor and you could have gone, you know, down the street with a, you know, an amazing doctor that was aggressive about it and you could pay 10,000, you know. So um so we we paid for hers and um she was younger. So you what you end up doing is you usually giving yourself shots in the stomach to give your hormones to your ovaries to stimulate your follicles because usually your follicles grow at different rates. And when usually one is big enough, that's when it releases and that's, you know, you get your monthly um, egg that drops and could potentially be a baby. So what these drugs do is they make as many follicles as they can grow to that point of release um and they don't actually let them release okay so and they they size them i don't know if it's um like measurement but usually a, about a 23 or a 24 uh, measurement is a like a grown bulk and i could i could be a little off you know if anybody's listening to me that's in this <laughs> is a doctor or anything you know um 
So anyway, you'll get these follicles that grow to the point of maturity that would normally release, and they don't let them release. So they keep giving you the drugs until, you know, they use an ultrasound on your stomach to see them growing and they measure them. And, um, you know, when they feel they get enough eggs that have matured, they will then sedate you. We were sedated and they'll go in and pull out all of those eggs and pull out as many as I can. My wife responded to the drugs very, very, very well. And they pulled out 43 eggs. <laughs> 43. Okay. It was, it was insane. She had a lot of, she had actually some fluid buildup in her stomach afterwards, um, just because I think it was a, a more intense, you know, procedure where they pulled out that many. And so we fertilized 18 of them. They, provided 12 and then we did a few more because this was our first time so we weren't sure so we paid you pay like a hundred dollars extra you know per egg or I think that's about the amount that you want to you know fertilize enough so we did fertilize 18 and then they basically just watched them grow I think in a petri dish maybe um, they watched them grow they watched the cells divide as they're dividing they uh, when you hit day five so by the fifth day after they've um, been inseminated, um, if the cells are looking really healthy, they're dividing as they should, um, those are your good eggs that you then freeze. And she uh, got six eggs total. So, and then we did me next and I'm older. So, you know, my response to the drugs was different and they pulled out 23 eggs from me. It still sounds and, like a good number, though. It, it is. You know, honestly, I'm very grateful. A lot of women even just struggling getting out two eggs. We fertilized 18 again, um, and I got 10. Even though she had way more eggs that were pulled out of her, and we did the 18, and, you know, so she had more options of better eggs, better looking eggs. And we got six from her, even though I was older, got less, but my eggs weren't you know, some of them weren't as good looking. I still got uh, 10 embryos. So total, we have 16 little embryos hanging out. So <laughs> that was the other thing for mine, because obviously we wanted to do two IVFs so that we could both have the baby be each biologically ours. I work for a very progressive company. And this is, again, another suggestion for anybody going through this, especially if you are gay, um, a lot of companies now provide assistance for infertility, especially um, if you're heterosexual, you've been trying for a year and you do have to go to a specialist. Um, there are a lot of companies now that are providing a certain amount of money or coverage um, for treatments for this. So being a gay person, I don't meet the requirements of medic medically needed or trying for a year and couldn't get pregnant, you know, things like that. So what I did is I wrote an appeal letter. So I, I submitted that um, I wanted, because we did, as a company, we did provide it for uh, heterosexual couples. I, I submitted and they, of course, denied me because on a medical piece of paper, I should not need help. And um, so I had to write an appeal letter. I provided my marriage certificate at this point. We had gotten married, um, our marriage certificate, everything like that to prove that I was a, a gay person in a marriage, 
that could not get pregnant through natural means. I needed help from infertility and infertility doctor to have a child. And um, I did get my IVF covered. We got all that straight now. We got our um, frozen stuff going on. So we decided to do Amalia's first. Um, and when it was coming closer to it, it was like, wow, are, do we really want to take on twins, you know, off the bat? <laughs> it's it's a lot of work, twice the cost, <laughs> twice the work. It's, yep. it's insane, right? And mm-hmm. why, and consciously, you know, deciding to have two at one time, you know, I'm really glad right now that she brought it up. It was hard for her to say to me, you know, I'm second guessing what we had originally planned to do. Um, it was something really hard for her, I think, to say to me. I'm very stubborn. I'm very um, set in my ways. I'm very organized. And to change something that big for me was really hard. Um, but she really wanted to do just one baby off the bat. Um, so I kept thinking of her first thing she said to me about feeling connected to the child. And so I was like, well, the only way I'll do this is if we use your embryo first. That's inevitably what we did. So we um, went in and all they do is they unfreeze it and they get you ready. They get your body ready. I had to do the shots again, um, hormones, you know, vitamin intake, um, they get your body ready, and when it's ready, uh, he just put <laughs> put the little leg in, and he actually showed me on a monitor, and he was like, you see that little white dot, you know, through the ultrasound, and he's like, that's it, that's, that's the embryo, and not many people see a five-day-old embryo in their uterus, you know, it's something very unique to see and witness and and know that that little you know speck on the screen is gonna eventually you know be a baby it was it was a little surreal uh, to look at and it's it's crazy so so I carried my wife's um, embryo he is uh, seven months old now and that's how we had our first child It's so easy for most. So if you yes. are yeah. unable to get pregnant, yes. if you are not able to fertilize or, or yeah. anything, I mean, it's, it's like the stupidest thing that humans are designed to do. And it, mm-hmm. it sounds like such a task for you. Yes. <laughs> if any child is going to be loved extremely hard, like just loved very hard. Um, it's people that have struggled with infertility or gay people. We have to jump through so many hoops to have these children, whether you're fostering to adopt or you're adopting in general, or you're doing something like we did. Um, you are working very hard to have these children and they are definitely not unwanted children. That leads me to my other story. So I, um, I got 10 eggs um, that were frozen and we're not going to have 16 children total, you know, we're not going to. And when you're done with, um, you know, having children, your choices are whatever you want to do with your leftover embryos. Um, A lot of times they're discarded. And I decided um, already, I told my doctor, you know, I'd be okay with donating, um, some of my embryos to any couple that 
is struggling with uh, either they can't use their eggs, they can't harvest any eggs, or, you know, they can't use their husband's sperm or, or things like that. And if somebody didn't go to a sperm bank and donate their DNA, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have my child right now. I wouldn't have, he's the love of him. I, I just, I can't get enough of him. And if somebody didn't donate their DNA, I wouldn't have that. So I want to make sure that if somebody is trying that hard to have a baby and can't, and I can provide them with a healthy embryo, I will, I will gladly, gladly do that. So I've, I've donated four um, eggs already. Even though I haven't used mine yet, I've donated four of mine to um, a couple that was in need. And how did you go about picking the sperm? Oh, so that's fun. Oh, yes. We didn't talk about that. No. So that, that's like shopping for shoes online. It's a lot of fun. People would have um, hated this interview if I hadn't asked that question. Oh, my God. I, I'm glad you did. I totally skipped over that. So it's literally like shopping for shoes. So you go, you know, whatever cryobank you use. So we went to the website. And, you know, obviously you want to make sure it's an accredited, you know, legitimate, you know, cryobank, obviously. Um, and we use one that's very, very well known. So you we went onto the website and there's that little left hand uh, section of the website, just like it is when you're, you know, shopping at a store <laughs> where you can filter. So we literally could filter, you know, what eye color, you know, are you looking for or okay with what? color hair what you know because a lot of times especially like if you're in a heterosexual relationship you're trying to find the sperm that matches maybe your husband or your boyfriend that maybe can't produce sperm right so you want them to look exactly like you know your husband you know for us it was more like maybe we can find someone that looks kind of similar to the characteristics that we share together and then that way the child just ends up looking a little bit more like us individually and they don't just look specific to the donor, you know. So we didn't mind if they had green, brown, hazel or dark eyes. Uh, my wife has a thing with blue eyes. So that's the only one like we couldn't, you know, have. They're going to have blue eyes. You literally kind of just filtered height, you know, weight, things like that. And then you're, you're able to look at these little profiles and they name them, you know, something cutesy like, you know, beautiful green eyes or hunk of the month. You know, <laughs> you're given like this profile name basically uh, where, you know, because it's anonymous, obviously, for these men. But you can look at their little profile name. You can look at what the staff, you know, thinks of them. They give like a little paragraph of what they like to do, who they are, you know, their characteristics. And we narrowed it down to two. And one of them was, he just sounded gorgeous. He had like all these different backgrounds just mixed in, little flavor of kind of every ethnicity. And, and to me, those are like just the most beautiful people in the world when you got that kind of background going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he had a degree. Um, I can't remember. He His profession was just kind of, in the general terms, right? And then we had another one that um, he wasn't as snazzy sounding, sounded a little bit more like the guy playing chess, you know, in the corner kind of thing. But um, he did 
cancer drug research, things like that. And we were like, okay, so are we going to choose, you know, brains or beauty, brains or beauty? And um, we're like, well, in our situation is, you know, it nature versus nurture, right? Like, how much are they going to actually get of the donor? How much are we going to nurture? And we're like, if there's anything to do with um, nature, let's try to give them a, a head go in, in life, you know. And, and so we went with the brains of the operation. So. <laughs> I'm surprised, actually. I was expecting, really? yeah. <laughs> I think I was a little bit more on the side of, ooh, let's like make them just, you know, the most beautiful thing ever. And I think my wife was, she's in uh, PA school right now. So she's a, she's a brain. I, I knew she would side a little bit more with the brains, but in the end, you know, we just, any, any kind of like kickstart we can give, you know, the child that's, but it was, it was a really fun, you know, thing. And, and then, so you can pay. Okay. So they give you usually like, like a profile childhood photos. Sometimes on some websites you don't get any pictures, but if you pay an extra fee, then you get um, childhood photos, like multiple ones. You get um, the more extensive, like medical history and things like that. This is so, so intriguing. I had no idea there was a whole yeah, market. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So I'm so I was about maybe three or four months pregnant. So I am already pregnant. All of our eggs are already inseminated, right? Mm -hmm. And we chose not to see the picture. Okay. So we have no idea. We just, we based it off of, you know, just what we read on the profile. Well, I come home one day and my wife's like, you're going to, you're going to kill me. You're going to be really mad at me. And I was like, Oh God, like, what'd you do? You know? And she was like, I saw the pictures because <laughs> we just had both agreed not to look at any of the pictures. We didn't pay the extra to, and we went to the website where it didn't let you see any. I, I wasn't mad. I was like, Oh, okay. Well then I want to see them too. You know, yeah. I want to. So, and she, she claims that she did it more for like the medical background of it, but I'm like, eh, did you really just want to see the pictures? I don't know. So I came around and, and it's really funny because, um, he, uh, we picked like a, a brown hair. We both have, well, hers is a little bit more sandy blonde, but um, we both have brown hair. And in the profile, it said brown hair. Well, in the childhood photos, so they provided us with three childhood photos. And I, I don't think they do any adult ever, just because you don't want to run to them in the grocery store, you know, and be like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, um, but his <laughs> And there's some weird thing where you could actually hit them up with child support, or is that just a yeah. rumor? Oh, that's yeah. true. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you about our lawyer visit also if <laughs> if if you want to hear about that. But yeah, yeah. Um, we found it, the childhood photo. His hair looks red, <laughs> and my wife was like, "What? Like it said, bro? Why is it red? It looks red." So immediately when the baby was born, she's like, "Does he have red hair? Does he have red hair?" She was like, "What the? You know?" She's like, and even to this day, he's like seven months, and it's like a sandy blonde. Um, but it, at one point, it did have a little red tint to it, and she was like, "Oh my god, they lied. They they told us he had brown hair." I was like they can't lie on those things. He's going to have brown hair. It just has like some strawberryness to it. Maybe when he was a baby, you know, it's all, it's all good. So I had to kind of 
put that fire out a little bit. Like it'll change. It'll change. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy but, though, because I mean, they, they have to get those things right because that's yeah, how you're picking yeah. it. And you know, and now all of a sudden you're going to have this ginger kid. Well, you didn't want a ginger kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you think, I mean, gosh, there's been some situations where people have sent them the wrong donor sperm. You know, you've, you've read about them in the, in the, um, you know, in the news and stuff. Um, it can be very scary. And especially like, let's say you're trying to get the, um, your child to look like your husband. Yeah. Like if they send, you know, or if they provide the wrong information, and the child ends up, you know, looking completely opposite, that would be very hurtful. That could be very harmful for maybe the the man that wants to look and resemble so that he can feel more connected or, or whatever it is as to the reason why they chose what they chose. If it's the wrong information, that can be that can be very harmful in that situation, especially if it, they're trying to look like the husband, you know? So, yeah, they've got to be very careful. <laughs> so Okay, so what, what's uh, up with your lawyer now? Oh, okay. So, well, and this is interesting, too. And I, I don't know if it was just my doctor, if all doctors do it, but um, we had to be go to a counseling session before we um, were able to process this. He does, anytime there's any DNA being put into somebody's body that isn't their original DNA. So if you're going to be a egg donor or... Um, you know, somebody's going to be a surrogate or whatever the situation may be, you have to go through a counseling session to be sure everybody is, um, you know, mentally prepared and mentally stable to take on whatever situation you're taking on. So we had to do a counseling session. And because we were gay, uh, he wanted us to see a lawyer just to be sure that we were complying with all laws. Um you know, any FDA regulations that were out there. I mean, having a practice, you know, you just have to make sure you're abiding by all laws and, and all the medical stuff that they need to do. So he needed us to be sure that on our end, we're covering all of our bases. Um, even though we were legally married, it's, it's, it's again, you know, laws can be changed, you know, things, cha you know, whatever it is he wanted us to see a lawyer. So, um, we went to a lawyer and he, um, he was saying, yeah, he's seen couples where they like met in jail and the, the guy wants to impregnate like his wife and his sister wife and like, but this one wants to carry that baby and that he's like, he's seen it all. And he's just like, um, it can get very, very sticky. Uh, in that type of situation, but because we were um, married, it seemed to be okay. So, and he told me that my wife would, if we wanted to just be sure, my wife would then adopt, do a second parent adoption um, to the baby after it was born, because I would be the mother on the birth certificate, and she would then second parent adopt, even though it was her biological child, okay, because I was the birth mother, and the birth mothers have all the rights. Well, so we saw the lawyer, it was probably about a year and a half before he was even born. We go back to him, especially, you know, we've got a new person in 
you know, the White House that has different views and, you know, different stuff going on. And we, I try to follow things, but I'm not really sure, you know, on certain things, what's going on. Have they changed anything? So we go back to the lawyer. And so as of right now, um, because the baby is hers biologically, he said, if a judge wanted to go off of a piece of paper and let's say, you know, she tried to divorce me tomorrow, he... I have to legally adopt him, even though I'm the birth mother. Um, you know, if they go just based off of the legal side of things, technically that is her child, even though we're married, I have to adopt the child that came out of my body, which is just absolutely insane to me. Um, so that's what we need to do currently. And even though she was able to be placed on the birth certificate. So we actually are both on the birth certificate. Um, she is listed under father, but he still recommends because of the ever-changing, you know, world that we live in. And he, he said, you know, medical stuff is always 10 years ahead of the law. So the way the laws are right now, they're just very behind what we can do nowadays um, with all this medical stuff that we can, you know, create families. He's like, I suggest that you actually adopt um, your own child. So yeah. that's what, that's my next step. <laughs> that's, that's weird, but I totally get his logic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's like, if you really want to cover all of your bases and which again, we just want to make sure we are doing, you know, covering everything um, is I'm, I'm going to adopt him. And now when I have, so, so I'm going to go back, um, Again, I'm feeling my age. I'm going back um, in another month to start the process for the second child, and I'll use my DNA this time. So then this time, obviously, then she will need to second parent adopt mm -hmm. the baby, even if she is on the birth certificate, because then again, my biology is then mine, and she, she can't claim, you know, that kind of thing. So it's very interesting how that all works. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I get, so I'm, you know, I'll sit and be doing some of these makeup and they just, the minute it starts going, it starts going, you know, and they're like, oh, well, what, what about this? Or how did you do this? Or how did you get that? And it's just, you know, snowballs and snowballs and people are just very, very curious. And it's, it's a really, I think it's an interesting topic. And well, I think about all these sci-fi films like Gattaca or whatever where they can, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. parents can genetically engineer their child or or if their child has cancer or, or genetics that will predispose to something they can just flip a switch and it's yeah all. but we're almost there <laughs> it, it, we are the CRISPR technology is there they're they're building on it I don't know you know how much you've dove into that but the CRISPR, it's so interesting what they can do. But, you know, even even in our situation, if any of the embryos are dividing in a way that they shouldn't or they don't look, you know, if anything's abnormal, you would say they they discard, they do discard them. So, um, you know, in a way you are um, kind of picking the strong ones. They actually give them grades so like you go get your grade A eggs, you know, from the grocery store, they are graded like AA, AB, BB, BC, they can be graded 
I don't know why there's two letters. I'm not sure about that. Um, but you know, they're graded that way. So when you do implant or you, you, you want to transfer and you want to have one of the embryos, you can pick the strongest, basically egg, you know, you can pick the one that has an A in it an AB, or if you get an AA, you know, um, the one we picked out of hers was she didn't have an AA, but she had an AB. So we picked AB because that's the strongest looking embryo to them, you know, as far as the cell division and, and, you know, normal looking. So um, you are kind of playing with that, you know, taking the strongest, you know, discarding any abnormal, you know, it's just, it's semi there and we'll see what happens in the future you know, with that. Well, and just the fact that you're shopping around, I mean, I, I guess I, I totally just went into the whole, okay, that's cool that you can do IVF and da, 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 da but you're <laughs> shopping for sperm yes. based on profiles. Yes. Like that just blew me away. Yes. And... <laughs> yes. You are literally just picking what your child, you know, height, like oh, the donor was really tall and we are both kind of short. We're both in that like five, three, five, four range. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he was six foot or six one, um, you know, and we're already, he's in the 98th percentile in his length. We were like, if, Hey, if we have any boys, it'd be nice if they were tall or it'd be nice to see a taller version of ourselves if it's a girl. Mm-hmm. So we, we are kind of like, picking different characteristics of our children by shopping for them, you know, picking that height, picking that eye color. It is a a form of that. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very cool. We have, um, we have some friends that are, you know, going through it right now. And um, I was talking to one of my friends back in Michigan and, you know, she's like, well, what donor did you pick and what was their number? So, you know, she's looking up mine. She's sending me pictures of hers. Like what one would you pick if you had to pick one of these three? You know what I mean? Like, it's really crazy that you're throwing back these like profiles or what would you want your kid to look like, you know? So, I mean, I, I get there was some struggles here, but mm-hmm. for, for the most part, it, it sounds like it's been kind of an exciting journey for you. Yeah, it's... um. I am very, very grateful, very lucky to be just a healthy, uh, a good uterus. <laughs> you know, I didn't have any um, problems in that way. Um, I know a lot of women struggle with that. I'm very lucky that the first transfer, you know, did progress. Uh, I didn't miscarry. You know, that happens all too often, especially if you're struggling with infertility. So I feel for those women just so much, you know, well, my birth, I mean, I didn't have it that easy. I got preeclampsia right at the end. I was on my deathbed while they were cutting him out of me because he, his heart rate was failing. You know, it, it wasn't the easiest thing, I, but I had the easy process to getting the baby all the way up until about 38 weeks pregnant. So it was easy breezy up until then. The birth is a, you know, a, a different, I, I would say it's a different category, different episode, but yes, I, I'm very lucky and I, I really, I feel, and I want to give all the love to those women that, that don't have that story, that don't have that ease, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jenna, for sharing. 
I never knew I was so interested in IVF. Next, we have Lisa and some of the stigmas that go along with mixed-race couples and being a single mother in general. It's not something that people focus too much on, but there is definitely a stigma that goes along with it. I uh, have come from a single-parent home myself, so I don't see any issues with, with a single mother raising a child. This is why we talk about it, because there are a lot of people that look down upon these things. Um, my name is Lisa, and I am a single mom, which pretty much takes up 24-7 of my time. My son will actually be eight years old next week. I got pregnant when I was 25 years old, so you can kind of do the math there if you want to know how old I am. But basically how he came to be, I guess, it's, I mean, typical science, but a lot of self-love issues and not really happy with myself. So I went looking for attention and love in the wrong places, i.e. the bedroom with people. Of course, um, the universe has a funny way of teaching you lessons. So um, in September of 08, I got pregnant. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of crazier stories out there, but I didn't even have a dollar to go to Dollar General and get a pregnancy test at that time. I had to go to like a free pregnancy center just to even find out. It was really hard at the time. I, I was really struggling financially on my own. And I was like, I can't even take care of myself. If this comes out positive, how am I even going to take care of a child? There's never a go good ahead. time to have a kid ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> even before I went and got the test, I knew I was. Mm -hmm. I just knew. I, I just felt like I was. I don't I, I don't know if just my body was telling me. I just I just knew it. We got a positive pregnancy test, of course. And the craziest thing, I think the next week my sister had just <laughs> given birth to her first child, my nephew, and they were coming for a visit. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I just found out I'm pregnant and there's going to be I'm going to be around a newborn." I'm like, I can't tell anybody yet because that's just going to be too much and too real all at once. So I waited until after their visit to tell my family. And maybe this is going to sound weird, but I told my parents and my sister via email <laughs> that I was pregnant. Well, I mean, um, they, I, I don't see anything <laughs> wrong with informing people via email or a text message. I mean, it, it's <sighs> if somebody's died, maybe that, that, that should be a phone call, but... I don't right. I, I maybe I'm just not a traditionalist at all and I think we have the internet <laughs> now and th that's a way to communicate. I express myself with written word a lot better especially with my relationship with my parents. I knew as soon as I said the word pregnant that I was not going to get a word in edgewise and it wasn't going to be about the future it was going to be about this so-called mistake that they said that I had made. So my sister was actually really supportive, which kind of surprised me because she's very religious and waited until she was married to um, sleep with anybody. Go ahead. Can I jump in real quick? Please I think, do. I think that's a horrible mistake people make. <laughs> I think you should test drive the car before you buy it. <laughs> 
just sure just want to make sure all the gears work right <laughs> you know and and but <laughs> i i will say that i think you should use protection i think you should be responsible right. but you unlike me yeah, well, you know I'm, I'm not even trying to you know <laughs> no but I'm just... and do you mind me asking you you say that you didn't have a dollar to your name and mm -hmm. you could barely take care of yourself so how are you mm -hmm. going to take care of a child right so you already knew that the father wasn't going to be in the picture yes i will say that he was and still is in another relationship Okay. Um, my parents uh, were disappointed, of course. And it's crazy because single parenthood is so common these days. But I'm the only person in my extended family on both sides to be a single parent. It's, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, when your family is supposed to be supposed to be some of the most supportive people and they can't relate to you because they've never had to be in that situation it's hard to get that necessary emotional support. So, yeah, because they just, oh, well, you didn't use protection or you made this mistake. So, exactly. emotions shut off, empathy shuts off. And there's no, exactly, let's work this out. Let's, we're, we're, we now have a situation that we have to deal with. Mm hmm. Unfortunately, I, w I was pretty much dealing with everything alone. I went to every doctor's appointment alone. I had increased ultrasounds like more than usual because that my son had visual signs of Down syndrome, mm -hmm. which was a scary word, especially knowing that I'd probably be alone doing this. Yeah. Um, luckily, he's very healthy. It was uh, 27 hours of labor mm -hmm. um, and probably about 24 hours of that. I was completely alone, mm -hmm. like in the hospital room by myself. Oh, that was really scary. You just said that and and just the words of it, but mm -hmm. everyone that's been to the hospital regardless of whether it's for a surgery, for a pregnancy, for whatever, mm -hmm. going to the hospital is a scary uh situation. It's oh, it's yeah. not easy for you to be giving birth by mm -hmm. your, by yourself. It, it sounds traumatic to me and it sounds very <laughs> It just sounds like uh, you, you don't have any support there. Mm -mm, but you're, it didn't. You know. I mean, I drove myself to the hospital. <sighs> <laughs> well, and I kind of missed one thing. Like mm -hmm. Before I knew that I was pregnant, I had planned to go back to school yeah. and get my master's. Mm -hmm. Starting in, I, I got pregnant, I found out in September, and I was going back to school in January. So I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, nope, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do it. I went into the hospital on a Wednesday night to be induced. I think it was like seven something. I went to class before I went to the hospital. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I can't just sit here. I'm going to go to class. And my yeah. professor was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just handing this in. And <laughs> here you go. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's good for you to say because so many people think, well, what would a normal person do? No, normal people wouldn't be doing this. And I think actually people need to get their mind off this stressful yes. situation, this thing in their head. <laughs> so they need some normalcy to feel oh, better. Yeah. yeah. I just went to class and then they told me to leave. <laughs> They're like, why are, well, why are you here? Yeah. Like, I don't know. So I was there at the hospital from Wednesday night, they induced me, and that didn't go very well. 
Um, the epidural didn't take. Mm. So they had to try it like three different times. Um, and then I finally ended up having to have a C-section on that Friday. I remember it was right around 12 o'clock because my mom was actually there and she had to watch Young and the Restless. So it was right as Young and the Restless was ending. I know it's a weird thing I remember, but. No, I mean, that's, those are the details that allow (laughs) us to put order to things. (laughs) Right. I mean, after the C-section, my parents were probably there maybe an hour or two and then they left and maybe my mom came back for an hour or two another day and then she was back on the Monday after the Friday I had the C-section to cuz I couldn't drive for 2 weeks so I had to go yeah. to their house for the first 2 weeks of motherhood which was fun that was interesting well all these hormones are just trying to balance themselves out and yeah I'm crying and trying to figure out what to make this child happy. He he had his nights and days turned around and uh-huh. my mom and dad were still, you know, going to work. And I, I mean, so it was just me trying to figure out what to do next. I have friends uh, that are married with children and when mm-hmm. their child cried for two weeks straight and wouldn't sleep, I watched them lose their minds and there's two of them. They can take turns <laughs> and they right. struggle horribly with this. So I can only imagine it's just you. I mean, here I am recovering from a C-section and I've got my newborn baby on the couch at my parents' house and my laptop on a television tray in front of me finishing my finals for <laughs> my first semester of grad school back. So I don't know how, I, I don't know how it was, and I, and I finished, it was two years. So the first two years of his life, I was in school two nights a week and then it was for education. So I had to have a whole semester where I didn't have any income to do the student teaching or slash internship part, which was scary in itself. But I was thinking about the long run and trying to make things better for him and me in the long run. And I'm not doing anything related to <laughs> what's my degree. Does, I am, but does, it's not teaching. <laughs> does anyone really do what their degree says? No, but all that <laughs> debt needs to be good for something. Uh, yeah. I'm not against education or college, but I think it's a racket. Yeah. I really, I, I do see the value of education, but when it comes to say an 18 year old, Having to, mm. I mean, would you let your 18-year-old kid pick a mortgage out for your home? Oh, my gosh, no. But we'll allow them to pick out a student loan that's probably the same amount. <laughs> exactly. And that yeah. they'll be paying on longer than they would be paying a mortgage for. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't like that at all. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, sorry. Uh, a little you're off. You're okay. <laughs> I mean, one of the, the biggest challenges, I mean, as far as, especially with school, but just in general, being a working single parent was the child care. I don't recommend this, but I found his first child care provider on Craigslist. Luckily it turned out okay for me. I can see where it can go completely left and be just a horrible experience, but I did my research on them. They were licensed. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing was that I could afford it. Yeah. Um, And she was willing to watch him while I was in class. So he would be, I would be at work and then go straight to class. So he would be with her from like eight in the morning to eight at night, two days a week. Mm -hmm being a new baby that's 
that's a long time, but yeah. it was what I needed when I needed it for how long I needed it for. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful that to have or to have had that flexible option because I know not everybody can find that or even necessarily afford what I could afford at that time. And childcare is obscenely expensive. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. know that it's it's typically on par with most people's rent or mortgage. <laughs> so, Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was a trade-off. I mean, starting school, it has to be more structured, yeah. more educational, especially as a single parent, because the stigma of the education la- is lacking or teachers not investing as much time in certain kids. And my son is biracial. So not only is he, from a single parent household, he's going to be viewed as a minority, even though he's biracial. He's, um, in your mind, he's got two strikes going against him already. Of so, course. Yeah. And I hate that it, I have to say that, but unfortunately, that's just how society is. They're not going to view him like they're going to view any other white person walking down the street. It's the reality. I mean, and luckily, me going to school for education. I was able to f- maybe fill in some of those gaps yeah. because I knew how to teach certain things and work with them, but not everybody knows that. So, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, it starts so early where the gaps in education and e- even just socioeconomically, not even necessarily single parenthood, it's just the view of investing and in, I'm big on investing in kids' education, but... What have you run into so far at this point in your story of, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, shame or discrimination? Minorities were the major minority. Mm -hmm. You could count on your hand how many people or how diverse the the city was that I was in. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I have family that still, my parents still live there. So when we go and visit, I see looks all the time. And I, growing up there, I I know the looks. And I hate yeah. to, I don't want to sound like I'm judging, but it's. Well, they're judging you with the look. I <laughs> know, but I don't want to be on their level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or they'll look a little bit longer than just looking at somebody walking by. Mm-hmm. And, or they'll accept somebody in that city as long as they're good at sports mm-hmm. or have a contribution that people can root on. It's a shame because I know my son and many other people that have diverse backgrounds where I grew up have so much more to offer than athletic ability. Yeah. <laughs> and it's annoying to me. I've been six foot three all my life and I've always been told, are, are you going to go out for basketball? And right. I'm a white guy <laughs> who just happens to be six three, and you're, you're white men can't jump. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like no, actually, I have zero interest in sports, and I never, I've never have had any interest. But there, if if I got that, I can only imagine. Right. My parents grew up in. Well, my mom grew up in Northeast Kansas City back when the mobsters ran it, yeah. and then my dad <laughs> grows up in a very rural place and where he will still use the word colored. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard you guess. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my grandmother um, and, who's 92 years old, she, she still uses the word colored. And, and my nieces and nephews, they're biracial as well. Mm-hmm. 
so my brother-in-law is African-American, but this will be said like it's nothing. And that drives me insane because I, I, I don't even know what to say, say well, about it's, it. It's, it's one of those things where if you were in New York or California, wherever, this probably wouldn't be an issue. This right. wouldn't even be a factor. No one would even give your kid a second look or give you. And that's yeah. one reason why my sister, she lives um, in a suburb of Houston. Mm-hmm. And she's talked about that's one reason why that she doesn't live at least, you know, in, within traveling close distance here is because of the diversity. She wants that for her kids and she wants her kids to grow up accepting diversity too, which is why I don't necessarily want to live in the suburbs um, because I want my son to have the diversity that I didn't have because he's diverse and I want him to accept people no matter their background, disability, uh, personality, or lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I make sure that he knows that everybody is different and that is amazing. (laughs) Sometimes I notice at school that maybe some of the educators will be more maybe short-fused with kids that may need a little more attention. And he, I think my son, he he's used to getting all the attention. So when he's at school and he has to share a teacher with 20 other kids, he's got to adjust to that. I just noticed that I don't want to say that, oh, I don't know if it's necessarily treating him differently, but almost another, oh, he's like this because he doesn't have another parent around. That's At least that's the vibe you get. Yes. I feel like I have to stand up for him and fight for him more. I mean, I would be doing that anyway, but I feel like I need to really make a case for him if I if something should arise like that. Maybe those things arise a little bit more often for you than they do for others. Right, exactly. Even if he's just getting sick or, you know, something happens at school, I'm the only one that can go and, and pick him up, really. Transferring that into work, taking time off, using your vacation when it's not a vacation. Um, and if you don't have the time then you either don't get paid or you risk getting written up or even losing your job at times, depending on what the situation is and what your job is. Yeah. Most employers are not flexible. They do not have any sort Mm -hmm. of understanding for it because they just, they want the job done. It's the bottom line. And exactly. It makes sense. Um, I would always work on holidays because I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't have kids and I didn't really have much of a family. So, I would say I would work on Thanksgiving or Christmas because I actually was mm-hmm. wanting that people with the families to go spend time with their families. Right. Kids, you know? Well, bless you. Cause not everybody was like that. I'd had a retail job after I had him and I would try and cover for people, even though it wasn't always, you know, easy for me by golly, when something happened and I needed somebody to cover for me, they didn't do it. It was just frustrating because, I mean, they knew I was a single parent, but yet nobody would be a decent human being and help me out. And, and I was um, a little selfish. I, I mean, I did like the double pay on holidays. Right. Today. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. I don't, hey, money rules the world. <laughs> exactly. Like, I really don't have a social life. 
Um, most of my social life is social media. That's how I stay connected with a lot of people because I can't, I mean, he's got school. It's not like I can go out really all the time during the week. He needs to be on a schedule and I don't always have the extra income to go out and I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. That just makes it so some of my coworkers will turn out to be some really good friends. Mm -hmm. I have to go, um, out of town for work and I've got one of my best friends is one of my coworkers and she has had my son overnight to allow me to fulfill my work obligations. So I will say now that my job, I've been really blessed to have supportive coworkers mm-hmm. um, and shout out to them <laughs> because um, I could not do it without them. And my parents help out too, but you know, they're getting older. It's not easy for them to keep up with, um, an eight year old. So, yeah. um, he's very active. Yeah, you know, there's the term, it takes a village and it really does. I mean, I put my, obviously my son before anything. And I always said that I was not going to be that single mom that has the parading men in and out of his life. Mm-hmm. Because one, I don't want him to think that that's okay for a man to do in a single parent situation, but also because I don't want him to see me and say that that's okay for a man to treat a woman that way too. Or even if you just had one or two long-term relationships and then say you break break up now, are you going to form some detachment issue with him or something? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if it comes along, it comes along, but He's my focus, and I couldn't picture it any other way right now. At you're least, you're so. in mom mode, and that's oh that's, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what you need to be right now. Is a mom, and mode. right now I'm a soccer mom <laughs> and a baseball mom and a football mom. So, what do you think when you see stuff on the news or the internet where they say that single moms are putting their child in danger or they're they're not fulfilling a child's life or they're incapable of doing uh, of raising a child by themselves wow um do you see that stuff because i do (laughs) i see it all the time it's like disheartening to me yeah and it's all over one of the things i hate i know it's kind of it kind of piggybacks off that question Mm -hmm. but seeing on social media like um people that do have, you know, both mother and father, you know, trying to co-parent, but they're bashing each other. And it just, that to me is more, I I don't know because I've never had to deal on, I I mean, I would deal with all the drama in the world if it meant he had a father figure, you know, steady in his life and a good influence that way. But to me, that doesn't go away as far as the social media postings are always going to be out there. So if a kid, you know, sees these things about how his dad is talking about his mom or his mom is talking about his dad, to me, that seems more scarring or emotionally damaging than a loving, fulfilled home with one parent. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want, I would not want, I make a point not to say anything negative about the other person, Mm -hmm. even though I know I could, because one, I, I wouldn't want that in return. 
And two, when he grows up, he's, I want him to be able to say, one, my mom never badmouthed this person if for some, you know, if they end up having a relationship one day. I want to be able to say that. I've seen uh, my friends go through divorces, go through mm-hmm. issues. And when there's uh, an issue going on, say they're not in love anymore, they're fighting all the time, or one of them's cheating on the other one. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what the child's having to go through when I can't either, you know, and I think you're, the child's going to be better off if you separate and, and if you meet somebody else, great, then you can possibly form a new father figure in their life, whatever. But in the interim, I think this is just me. I'm not a child psychologist or any of those <laughs> things, but I just growing up in the environment I did, it was mm-hmm. much better with, being with just my mom and not her with in a unloving relationship with a man who they they didn't even fight they just didn't speak <laughs> mm. you know and I can't even imagine being around that all my life and I'm thankful that I wasn't well and my parents they're still married and they were together my whole life so I don't know you know firsthand what it's like to come from a divorced or separated family. So, I mean, I'm obviously new to the situation. My son is very empathetic. I will tell him I had a bad day and he'll say, mom, I feel, I feel bad for you. Mm-hmm. And I could not be more proud that he has the empathy to say that at eight years old. He just is amazing. And he's sitting here right now on the couch, quiet as a mouse. And he's, cuddled up next to me (laughs) i mean i can't really get much cooler than that i guess i don't want anyone to think that i'm glamorizing single parenthood because it's it's tough it's hard it's not cool Mm -hmm. it's not fun it's not something to say oh look at this it's it's rough Mm -hmm. it is a rough life and I wouldn't choose it for myself, but I mean, I kind of guess I did in a way Mm -hmm. I chose to lay down with the person. Um, I didn't know at the time that that person wouldn't be there, but I mean, it was a choice that I made. I chose to Mm -hmm. carry through the pregnancy and, and have this child and raise him, but it's not something knowing everything that I would necessarily, you know, choose for myself. I would always want it to be a better situation, but I cannot imagine now my life without him, and I can almost 100% say that if I did not have him, I probably would not be on the earth today because of how low I was um, around the time that I got pregnant. So it's it's a blessing. It's... It yeah. allowed you to see more clearly. It allowed you to become responsible where you, as you weren't before. Mm-hmm. He's taught me that I need to take care of myself because if I don't, I can't take care of him. Um, especially, you know, mental health wise. And it's funny because I <laughs> was listening to your episode about OCD, and she made a comment about going to a psychiatrist because, you know, they're the specialist and you want to see somebody that knows what they're talking about rather than your regular 
primary care physician. And at that point when I was listening to it, I had had increased anxiety and I was just, it wasn't necessarily going downhill, but I knew there was a problem. And so I was listening. I'm like, this is exactly what I needed to hear. And I went to a psychiatrist a couple weeks ago for the first time ever. And it's been a hundred percent turnaround since. That's awesome. So I have you guys to thank for that. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was really cool. So I wanted to share that with you too, because the mental health aspect is um, your, your emotions are all over the place. I never know if I'm doing the right thing or if it's good enough or, you know, he comes home and, you know, somebody said, you know, maybe some bullying stuff or just, or making sure that he has, you know, things that he wants, even though I know that he has what he needs. Definitely a lot mental health wise, um, battling with anxiety and depression and something new came up when I went to the psychiatrist. So it was interesting to to discover that about myself when I wasn't even thinking about that. Kind of like the universe sending me a signal like you need to do this. Cause I was think I had made an appointment mm-hmm. with my primary doctor. It's funny because she had to cancel and I had to reschedule. And I was like, this is not good. I um I had a panic attack at work. And I had to end up leaving because I just could not calm myself down. I was like, no, I'm canceling this. I'm going to psychiatrist. I want to make sure that I'm on the right track. And I, I can't do this because I don't want it to negatively impact my son because I have anxiety and I'm irritable. I don't want to take anything out on him because it's not his fault. He won't understand. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't want to you know, of the long-term effects of that is causing anxiety in him. Like he's nervous around me. He doesn't know what he's going to get. And that's how I grew up a little bit, not knowing what I was going to get, you know, from my parents as far as mood or, oh, or being nervous all the time Mm -hmm. around them because I didn't know what was going to be, you know, or come my way. Yeah. Sometimes I need therapy like Johnny on the spot. I don't need it. I personally don't need it all the time. It's just sometimes I need some clarity. I need somebody to say it back to me so I can understand where I'm at. But I absolutely understand that when somebody's been in a rut for years, when somebody has something, you know, something miswired, whatever it is, you, Mm -hmm. you, you need somebody, you need help. You can't work through that on your own most of the time. No, I hadn't had a panic attack in over five years. And I had one that came out of nowhere and really scared me because I was sweating. I was crying. I was hyperventilating. And this was at work. And those are the last people that you want to see you like that. Uh, I I saw something on online the other day where they they actually made the assertion that uh, children should be put in foster care because they would have a better chance at success uh, than... A single parent. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. It was, it was nut. And and of course, you can imagine the type of person that's espousing this, 
And I'm thinking, well, normally, uh, you know, I would say that the foster care system might not be the most appropriate place. And no. I, and that has its own issues. But it, I mean, I, I don't want the foster care system to go away. I just want it. I actually would want it to expand. I want it to be easier right. for parents to parents that want to adopt a child. I want an mm-hmm. easier channel for them. But in some cases, absolutely. There's there's a bad situation at home, and, mm-hmm. and the kid needs assistance. The kid needs to be protected. But in most cases, I would probably say I don't know eighty percent of them, <laughs> because right. there's a lot of single parents out there. Mm-hmm. They fare just fine. Oh yeah, um, and well. I work. I mean, I work in a social work related field, um, so. I I know what it takes and what it doesn't take for kids to get taken out of homes. And it's amazing what what some kids will get taken away for um or or removed from their home. I I definitely obviously think foster care is a great system. Of course I think it needs to be improved upon and I think the foster parents need to have a lot more education as far as dealing with kids who have trauma because a lot of those kids that are in foster care have trauma experiences or um, mental health problems that came from trauma. I know a a little girl who I help out a lot with and she has been removed from every Mm -hmm. single school she's attended Mm -hmm. every year. She's been moved across the country several times She's been pulled out of school to take her mom to a casino. The list goes on and on and on. Well, that's but math, right? When, when the when the state finally decided, oh, we need to remove her, it was because her mom was smoking pot. And I'm like, that's the reason? That's what you chose? Wow. <laughs> like that, I would have put that really low on the priority scale compared right. to her being pretty much her entire school just being destroyed, uh, all these other issues, um, all <sighs> the money going to a casino. Uh, right. You know, she had a roof over her head, but it's because other family members paid for it. But as <sighs> soon as they found out, oh, she didn't pass a drug test. She she tested positive for marijuana. We got to rip her out of the house. I'm like, okay, I'm glad she's out of the house, but right, holy that shit. shouldn't be the main <laughs> reason. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I guess she can drink and do meth all day long, and that's okay because, you know, or Adderall, excuse me. (laughs) Well, you know, let's be technical here. Yeah. (laughs) But. Wow. And, you know, unfortunately, with the moving and the schools, one, it's going to put her behind educationally because every school is different. Yeah. Every, you know, grade level goes at a different pace in has, has it from school to school. Yeah. Has different requirements, different subjects. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't get to build relationships. So in the future, it's it could impact her negatively and having a healthy relationship, not just romantically, but just with friends or anybody professionally, should she, you know, you know, with work. Or maybe she won't want to get attached to anybody, and just—that's sad. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm helping my, I'm doing my part. Good. <laughs> I I grew up pretty much in a single parent home. Uh, mm-hmm. My my father was in jail, I think, or that's at least what my mom tells me is he was incarcerated at the time of my birth, 
And then she remarried, Mm -hmm. who pretty much raised me as a young child. Um, Mm -hmm. He even adopted me, so I can't say he was my stepfather, even though he wasn't my biological father. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then they got a divorce. And Mm -hmm. so I was, you know, maybe fifth grade when they got a divorce. So I only knew him during my grade school years. And I, I think I turned out much better now in retrospect than if they had stayed together and I had stayed in the state that they were living. And there was so many mm-hmm. other factors. I think I did much better not doing that. Do you have a relationship with your biological father? No. Um, I, I ended up meeting him when I was 13 uh-huh. and he was a, uh, a drug dealer <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't have much to offer and right. I didn't have much to say. Uh, so I didn't, have any relationship with him because uh, it was obvious the reason why my mom sheltered me from him. Okay. Uh, uh, I still talk with my other father uh, mm-hmm. and, and my biological father actually passed away in 95, I think it was. Oh, okay. Um, and he wasn't that old either. So he, you know, his body just shut down on him. Mm. Um, my other father, John, he's, uh, he was a research lawyer for the, wow. um, the Los Angeles uh, court district. Uh, he actually was the research lawyer for the judge on the Charles Manson case. So huh. uh, he was cool. he's <laughs> kind of a big deal, you know, and, yeah. and, and well to do. But him and my mom just didn't really didn't get along. Out. He helped support us and it was fine. But I really think I turned out better not living in a household with both of them. Of course, look at you now. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I don't know what would have been different. I mean, it's always the big what if. But Right. Well, one of, I guess this will lead to a question mm-hmm. to you too again, but one of my biggest fears with my son is him growing up and resenting me for, and this might be backwards thinking, but I don't want him to resent me for his dad not being there. And I don't believe that I, so far, has given him any reason to. I've been very honest with him, Mm -hmm. as much as I can be to an eight-year-old. I don't want to withhold that from him if if he chooses to pursue a relationship later. But that's my biggest fear, is because I, I feel guilty that his dad is not around. Because, like I said before, I chose to lay down with this person and... It obviously wasn't a very good choice. I I always feel guilty that he's not around, Mm -hmm. even though it's not, I don't know. It's it's a weird thought process. I had more resentment that she kind of lied to me about it. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I still to this day don't know if he was actually in prison when I was born or not. Uh, she gives me almost zero information about it. Uh, okay. and I'm the type of person who, I don't know if anyone wants their kids around me because I'm brutally honest with children. I talk to them like <laughs> adults. Um, I right. Don't, I, don't, I, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't talk down to children. I, I tell them mm-hmm. like it is and I'm nice. I know I'm not mean or anything, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I hear more from my uncles and my other family members about the relationship about with my father that my mother had. And I hear from, you know, other parties and that mm-hmm. is more resentful to me because referring back to this other, 
little girl in my life who I, mm-hmm. I help and love and support. Her father was a, a drug dealer and an alcoholic, and she never knew him. Mm. And when he passed away, she was sad because she's like, I never got to meet my father. Right. And I tried to tell her, sometimes it's better that way. <laughs> because if you would have right. met him, he probably would have disappointed you like mine did to me. That's such a hard concept for a kid to understand. I mean, we get it, of course, as yeah. adults, but that's why, like I said, I'm, I try to be as honest with him as I can be right now as far as his emotional level goes and explain mm-hmm. it in terms that make sense to him. But you got to realize that children do not prioritize the way we do. I know. <laughs> What's important to us and what we think should be important to them is not. Yeah. Um, and maybe later on when he's a teenager or whatever, maybe he'll ask again and you can come back to that conversation. But for now, if that's not a big deal to him, if he's not questioning it, there's no reason to really push it. And if the father isn't, if that guy, I won't say the father, that guy <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, has no interest or has mm-hmm. no value in the child's mm-hmm. life, then why why even bother? <laughs> I mean, it's just... Social media gives you an insight yeah. to, or to kind of stalk people. I don't want to, that's such a harsh word, but <laughs> yeah. to see, to check in on people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, he has had other children and is very involved with them. So that is what gets me upset a lot too, is because you are there for these other children, but not for this one. And I don't understand that. Has he had other children with other people and he's involved with them or is it all from the same person? No, it's two different people. Okay. Well, yeah, I could see why you want to point out the hypocrisy with this person. <laughs> I that's again, it's I just go back to what's what does he ask for? What does your son think is important yeah. in fulfilling his needs? Um I don't think that a, a two-parent home is absolutely necessary. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. I didn't come from one and I I feel like I I look at some of my friends who came from two-parent homes, and I don't think they're any more uh, <laughs> squared away than I am. In fact, I think I'm more squared away because I feel I had to fend for myself a little bit more. <laughs> right, but, um, right. But it's it's different in every family. It's different in any any place. Any it the the factors are so crazy. I I know that people will point out stats and figures saying, well, children from two, you know, from a one parent home Mm -hmm. are less likely to succeed or less likely to do this and that. And I think it's, there's some truth to it in the sense that a single mother has to work that much harder to provide and she might not have as much time or, or focus on the child because she has to work. She has to do this and that. But Mm -hmm. I, I just, Again, I, I look at children from two-parent homes, and I see problems there, too. So I don't, uh, you know, if that's just the silver bullet. <laughs> yeah, and, of course, my experience was with a two-parent household, so it is a little bit skewed. And just, like I said, I'm the only single parent in my extended family. So all I saw was, quote-unquote, complete family unit. You know, two and a half kids and a dog, you know, like the, the saying goes. But... 
that's all I ever knew. So I guess that's where some of the thinking comes from. But I had, well, the only other thing that I really had, it was just kind of rhetorical questions, I guess, that kind of goes along with society stereotypes. But how can I teach him how to be a man? And I <laughs> I don't know what even that necessarily means today, but... I, I'm not a, a man. I don't know what it is to be a man in the in the world. So how can I teach him to be something that I know nothing about? The, the definition of what's manly is I know. Uh, shifted. <laughs> like, uh, apparently now it's uh, wearing tight jeans, having a beard, and being able to make a craft cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> and has oh nothing to do with changing a tire of a car. <laughs> or a unicorn frappuccino. So I, I don't blame that on single parents. <laughs> I just think that's a, right. that's a trend. Um, but, you know, if you have an uncle, if you have, or a brother, mm-hmm. or if you have uh, even a male friend that wants to, likes to go fishing, whatever, eh, yeah. send him out, you know, see if he likes it. And if he's like, I'm not into f- fishing because they stink, but I kind of like <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> working on cars. I don't know. I'm, I'm, now right. I sound like totally stereotypical, but <laughs> you got to find what his interests are. And then he yeah. will, he will find male friends. He will find male role models that oh, yeah. in his life. I mean, I, I found male role models all through my life. It was mostly okay. in the form of managers and supervisors at work, but. Hmm. Okay. Um, right. And just because you're related by your, DNA or bloodline doesn't mean that you're a good role model. Absolutely not. <laughs> you're like, I am a walking testament to that. <laughs> the only other thing I really had was considering that he is biracial, ensuring that he embraces both sides of his heritage because I'm only one side of it and I can't give certain experiences because I'm not from that ethnic group or background to know how it feels like. I would say you don't have to make sure he embraces both sides of anything. You just have to make sure that whatever he wants to do, you can support. And well, part of it is with society today and we hear all sorts of stuff about, you know, the police and shootings and I support the police a hundred percent, but when people look at him, they are not going to see a white person. I think that is, uh, once he gets a little older, it's the conversation. You're, I mean, you can have the conversation anytime, but mm-hmm. it's it's a conversation that needs to be had. And I think that conversation right. is almost more important than the birds and the bees. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where you you just have to explain like you're you're gonna have to try a little harder you're gonna have to be on better behavior than everyone around you kind of it's not fair but unfortunately that's how people are i had my life isn't fair moment at a fairly young age and then i had to experience that life isn't fair moment a few more times before it got through my thick skull and (laughs) ever since then i realized ah no this is just the way it is and yeah and it's it's the universe, and the universe doesn't slow down or have any empathy for you. And no. you have to take 
life on. And it's maybe I, I don't want to sound like Tony Robbins, but I'm, I'm more of a guy that's <laughs> like, it's me against the world and I'm going to kick its ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, right. and that's the way you have to, that, it worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody, but it's, it's telling him that it, life isn't fair and things are, aren't always going to work out in, in mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but we're going to make the best of it. And, right. And any opportunities that you have, whether it be teaching opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a, a story on the news or. And I've kind of done, you know, some things like that when there's been certain things on the news that he might happen to see is I'll talk to him about it and I'll tell him, hey, you can ask me any question, anytime, no matter what. All you got to do is just ask. I, you can talk to me about anything because I didn't have that kind of open conversation growing up to where I felt like I could go to my parents and ask them anything or what? just But you came from a two-parent home. <laughs> Everything was perfect in your two-parent home, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just, you know I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but I, that, and that's, you know, one thing I, I want to definitely do differently. I want him to feel comfortable talking to me because the lack of that growing up really had some negative effects on me and I don't want that for him. So it's just a life lesson that I want him to be able to ask me questions about anything he's curious about, whether it be at school, on the news, just growing up, whatever. And I will be as honest with him as I possibly can. So like every parent, it's, I don't want to make the same mistakes as my parents. I don't want right. to be my parents. And we always do fall into a lot of the same roles mm-hmm. and, and, and whatever. <laughs> I think that most of the time, most parents will see the good things their parents did, or they'll start to understand, well, that's why they told me not to stick my hand in the blender, you know, <laughs> and then right, they, they, right. They, but then it's, oh, well, I couldn't talk to my parents. So I'm going to make sure that when I raise my kid, he can talk to me. Mm-hmm. You're, you're already one step ahead of the game <laughs> as much as you think you're 10 steps back. <laughs> right. I'm maybe 10 steps back in my bank account, <laughs> but Hey, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Okay. Oh, you have a nice night. You too. Okay. I plan to release a new episode by the end of the week. I've hired an editor which hopefully will help me put these episodes out on a more consistent basis. I had my niece helping me, but she's off to college now, so go figure. She's got to go make a life for herself. In other news, I was trying to do a live feed on Patreon the other day, but it didn't work out, so I went for a live chat. But I am going to try to do the live feed uh, where you can see me talking again, uh, hopefully by the end of the month. So I'll let you know when I have that scheduled. Thanks for listening.